If we could have the slide of the scripture put up, please. And actually flip it ahead to the end. Verse 16. Romans 1.16. I'll read the rest of this in a minute. Paul says in Romans 1.16 at the beginning, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's saying he's not afraid, he's not embarrassed, he's not hesitant. He's not embarrassed by the gospel. And there's something about the gospel itself that gives Paul this boldness. What kind of boldness did Paul have? Boldness to preach and teach and suffer. Do you remember what Paul said about himself? Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 21. Paul is talking about himself and he says he's comparing himself with others. Remember, if you were here last week, Pastor Bailey talked about Paul at the end of Galatians. And the thing that he does is he takes off his shirt and he says, he shows them his, his scars and he says, don't let anyone mess with me anymore. There were people in Corinth who had no scars. They were clean They were soft. And Paul is challenging them because they're attempting to usurp his authority, take over his authority over this church. And he says in verse 21, this is 2 Corinthians 11, 21. Just listen to this. He says, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. Now that's sarcasm. To my shame, he says, we've been weak by comparison to these super apostles. He says, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. Of course they're not. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Play the video of that in your head, would you? What would it be like to be whipped once with 39 lashes? What about twice? Three times? Four times? Five times? When Paul took off his shirt, he had scars on top of 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 scars. scars. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. 
Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Every one of those things that I just read to you would have, could have completely come to an end. None of them had to happen. None of them had to happen. If Paul would have just kept his mouth shut. That's all it would have taken. Just keep your mouth shut, Paul. And none of this would have happened to you. But he says, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Boldness to preach and teach and suffer and be mocked and beaten and robbed and ridiculed and chained. Boldness to take huge risk. Certainly to risk his comfort. Even to risk his life for the glory of God and the good of God's people. So the question I want to ask us this morning is this. What is it about the gospel that produces That kind of man. What is it about the gospel that produces this kind of risk-taking boldness? What is it about the gospel that can free us from fear? What is it about the gospel that can make every one of us, even those of us who are timid and shy by nature, even those who are are, uh, introverts, what is it about the gospel that can change us into people who are willing to risk being laughed at or mocked or rejected or hurt or even just inconvenienced or ignored? The answer is in Romans 1. Before we get to Romans 1, I want to ask another question that will help us to really catch the intensity and the depth of the freedom and the boldness that Romans 1.16 is holding out for us. Let me ask this question. Where does fear come from? Where does fear come from? When did fear first come into the experience of human beings on this earth? It was in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it, after the fall? One of the dreadful results of sin is fear. Genesis 3 says, Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They have sinned. They've, they've rejected His authority. They've rebelled against Him. They hear Him coming. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. What's he afraid of? Fear comes into our experience as human beings because of sin. What's he afraid of? He's afraid of God, isn't he? I heard you coming, and I hid. He's afraid of God. He's afraid of the judgment of God, the anger of God, the wrath of God, the holiness of God, being laid bare and exposed before God. I was naked, and I saw you coming, and I ran because I'm afraid. He's afraid of God. And every other fear that human beings have, every other fear that every human being in the history of the world has ever experienced has its roots in that same thing. If there had been no sin, there would be no fear. For example, why are you so afraid of death? You are afraid of death, aren't you? 
You're held captive by your fear of death because you don't want to stand before the holy gaze of God. You're afraid of what other people can do to you because if they kill you, you have to stand before God. Why are you so afraid of what others will think of you? Not just of what others will do to you, but of what others just think of you. Why, why are you so afraid of that? You're afraid of what others will think of you because you know what you are really like. And you're afraid of being exposed to them. Being really known by other people is like a miniature judgment day for you. Because you don't want to be known for who you really are. Because you're afraid. You're afraid of what you know people will see. Why are you so afraid of losing your comforts here on earth? You are afraid of losing your comforts here on earth, aren't you? Why? You're afraid of losing your house and your car and your things and your family because you think that those things are your only hope for comfort ever. Really? What is the, what is the biggest evil in, in, in the mind of people in our culture? Not Christians necessarily, but people in our culture. What is the biggest evil that we have in this world? What is the one thing to be avoided at all costs? Is it death? Mm. What is it? Suffering? Suffering. Why, why is there such a thing as euthanasia? Euthanasia is killing someone when they're not going to have a normal life. Killing someone when they're not going to have a comfortable life. Why is, why is that even an option? It's because people want to think there's nothing after this life. And if they're going to get comfort, the only place they're ever going to get comfort is here and now. If, if this world is not going to be comfortable, put an end to it. You and I believe that too. We would never say it, but it's why we're so afraid. We don't want to lose our homes. We don't want to lose our cars. We don't want to lose our jobs. We don't want to lose our reputations. We don't want to lose our money because we think that those are the things that are actually going to make us comfortable. And there is nothing. Or at least we want to hedge our bets. If, uh, if heaven is coming, and if it is all true after all, well, good, you know, streets of gold, mansions, it'll be nice. But just in case, just in case, better have comfort here. Just in case, it's all just a sham. Sin, being alienated from God, standing under the righteous wrath and judgment of God, is the root of all of our fears. Now, with that in mind, look at Romans 1. 
Listen to these words. Turn back to the beginning, would you? Romans 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request. If perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you. While among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now notice verse 15. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, I want you to crawl inside of Paul's head. And think his thoughts. He's written them on the page. Think like Paul thinks. He says in verse 15 that he's eager to preach the gospel to these people in Rome. Now, who's he writing to? Who is he writing to when he writes this and says, I can't wait to preach the gospel to you? Who's he writing to? He's writing to pagans, right? So he's talking about having a citywide crusade. He's talking about renting out the Colosseum in Rome. Right? Providing transportation with, with chariots and having, uh, having the best band, some special music. Right? Renting out the Colosseum to have a, an evangelistic crusade for those pagans in Rome. Is that what he's talking about? Is he writing to pagans? You see it up here, verse 7. Up in verse 7. It's in there. It's in your Bible anyway. He says in verse 7 that he's writing to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Verse 8, he's writing to those whose faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians. And he says, I can't wait to preach the gospel to you. Does that strike you as strange? Who do you think of when you think of preaching the gospel? Who do you think of preaching the gospel to? Immediately. Who do you think? You think 
pagans. Right? You think unbelievers. You think people who don't know Jesus Christ. You think of people who, who are out there. And the gospel is for people out there. And we'll, we're, you know, we're, we're supposed to preach the gospel to them out there. And um, once they believe it and come into the church, then it's something else for them. You know, and of course, then we know that any good church is going to be preaching the gospel in church on Sunday mornings because only because some unbeliever might possibly perchance maybe for some strange reason wander through the doors. And so we got to preach the gospel because maybe they'll get saved. Right? Paul says, I can't wait to preach the gospel to you, you Christians, you believers, you people who are loved by God, you people whose faith is strong, you people whose faith is legendary. That's what he says. Your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Paul's point is that Christians need to hear the gospel preached to them too. Why? Why is it that he can't wait to preach the gospel to these believers, these Christians in Rome? The answer is in verse 16. He says in verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you believers who are in Rome. Why? Verse 16, for because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I can't wait to preach the gospel to you believers because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? Why aren't you ashamed of the gospel, Paul? Because... The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He can't wait to preach the gospel even to the believers in Rome because he's not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the thing that he's always talking about. It's not the thing that he kind of gets to after he finds out that you like him. He's, you know, he's, he doesn't warm up to it. It's what he's always talking about. The gospel is everything to him. He is not trying to hide it. He's not trying to sneak it in. He's not ashamed of it. He's completely upfront with it. And the reason that he's not ashamed of the gospel is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who keeps on believing. What is it about the gospel that provides all of those blessings? What is it about the gospel that provides salvation? He says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. What does he mean by salvation? We think, we read that and we think, yeah, he's talking about getting saved. He's talking about that time when my friend in the dorm witnessed to me and I prayed that prayer and I got saved. And that's what the gospel is for. It's for getting people saved like that and that's all it's for. It's not what he's saying. Salvation here is not just an event in the past, salvation is the whole deal. It's being born again. It's, it's turning to God, repenting of your sin, turning to Him. It's having Him declare over you not guilty, perfectly righteous, by faith alone. That's what we call justification. It's uh, sanctification. He declares us not guilty. He sets us aside as unique, as, as, as different than we were, as holy 
And He works in us to make us more and more holy as we grow in our likeness to, to Christ. It's that, that guarantee of, of a future certain glorification where we actually become people who stop sinning, not here, not now, but then in His presence. It's all of that. That's what He means by salvation. What is it about the Gospel that provides those blessings? The answer is verse 17. He says, For the reason that the Gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes is because in it, in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Here's what he's saying. The Gospel itself produces boldness. The gospel itself produces boldness because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who is believing and the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who are believing because the gospel reveals that God gives His righteousness to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, do you see the relationship then between boldness and the gospel? Think about it. What's the source of all of your fear in this fallen world? The root of all of your fear is your sin and your alienation from God. But what does the Gospel say? The Gospel says to everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ, you are what? Righteous. You are forgiven. You are accepted by God. You have been reconciled to God. You don't have to try to cover yourself up. Jesus Christ has covered you up already. You don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Why? Because Jesus Christ has lived a righteous life and He has died in your place so that you don't have to die. You don't have to be afraid of dying anymore. That's why He came. To kill the root of fear. Turn with me. If you have a Bible, turn with me. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. The writer tells us why Jesus came and what difference it makes. Hebrews 2.14 Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, since we have bodies, He Himself likewise partook of the same. He took on a body. Since we have bodies, He came and He took on a body. Why? That through death, in other words, he took on a body because you can kill bodies. <laughs> he had to have a body. So that through his death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus came, took on a body so he could die, so you wouldn't have to be afraid of dying anymore. So you wouldn't have to be obsessed with your safety, with your comfort, with your self-preservation, with your health. 
so that you wouldn't be afraid, so that you wouldn't have to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he frees you from being enslaved by the fear of death. Ask yourself the question, how has the fear of death enslaved you? It has enslaved you. That's what it says. He came to free those who were enslaved by the fear of death. How, has, how have you been enslaved by the fear of death? You can be fear, free from the fear of losing your life. You can be free from the fear of losing your money and your comfort because you don't need to be afraid to die anymore. The worst thing that anyone can do to you is to kill you. Right? The worst thing they can do to you is to kill you. But listen to this. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? No, I mean really. Do you really believe it? Because you woke up this morning and you felt condemned, didn't you? And you thought if you could be good enough today, then maybe God would like you again. Romans 8.15 For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be also be glorified with him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are a son of God by faith in Christ? Do you even have a sense of that? Does your spirit cry out to God, Abba, Father? Every word of that is true of you. If you're believing the gospel, you stand as one over whom God has written these letters in, 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 in ink that is completely permanent, indelible. No condemnation. When you die, you will stand before him spotless and with great joy if you believe the gospel. Your eternal joy and freedom and forgiveness and righteousness have been completely secured by the life and death of Christ for you. Therefore, Paul says, you can be bold. One pastor said it like this. By removing eternal risk. Listen to this. By removing eternal risk. If you believe the gospel, your future is absolutely secure. Your, your standing before God is certain not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done, if you believe the gospel, there is no condemnation for you. You will stand before Him spotless and with great joy. That's what the gospel says, if you believe it. By removing eternal risk, there is no doubt what's going to happen to you if you're believing the gospel. No doubt at all. 
by removing eternal risk. Christ calls his people to continual temporal risk. That's what makes passages like this so sweet and so powerful. Luke 21, Jesus says, just listen, but you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death. Who knows? Maybe some of you in this room this year will die because you're a Christian. They will put some of you, it's a promise. They will put some of you to death. And you will all, you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. They'll kill you, but you won't die. John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus' question. Do you believe it? Do you believe that even if you die, you won't die? If you do believe it, why are you so afraid of dying? Why are you so afraid of risking something? Luke 12, 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. What, what's the worst they can do? The worst they can do is kill you. Don't be afraid of them. Solomon says, in Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues. That's what I was talking about earlier. The wicked, that's all of us, but the wicked who have no hope in the, in the forgiveness of God, everything is judgment for them. Everything is danger for them. The rustling of a leaf is is a robber that's sneaking up behind them, ready to kill them. You know, every time a siren starts wailing behind them, what do they do? Slam on the brakes because they think they're speeding, even if they're not. It's a bad conscience. The wicked flee even when no one's pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why? Nothing to be afraid of anymore. Brothers and sisters, listen to this. This is all true of you. If you've embraced the gospel of Christ. If you haven't, you have everything to be afraid of. Because you will die. And when you die, you will face God. And he will not give you a pass because you've been nice. Truth is, you haven't been nice. 
that Jesus Christ will rescue you from God if you'll trust Him. Let's be people who are not ashamed of the Gospel. Let's, let's let the Gospel produce this sense of holy boldness in us. You really do have nothing to fear because Jesus Christ has removed all eternal risk. Your eternal future joy is secure forever. You can give yourself, because that's true, you can give yourself to temporal risk. To risk now. To danger now. Because you really do have nothing to fear. You can let go of your own little world that you've made for yourself where everything is safe and everything is comfortable and everything is easy and everything is protected. You can let go of that because there is a bigger kingdom that makes all of that looks like, look, look like child's play. You can stop living for your own temporary comfort and start living for the eternal comfort of the people around you. When the risk of death becomes the door to paradise, the final barrier to boldness is broken, isn't it? There's a hymn that we used to sing in the church that I came from before I was here. And the last line, the last verse says this. Jesus lives, and death is now but my entrance into glory. What is death? What's the worst they can do? They can kill you. So what's that going to mean for you? What's it mean if they kill you? Glory? Courage then, my soul, for thou hast a crown of life before thee. Thou shalt find thy hopes were just. Jesus is the Christian's trust. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.12, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Every one of us today has an opportunity to gather two hours from now on the courthouse square and to practice being unashamed of the gospel. This year our church is sponsoring the Rally for Life that Lucas announced to us a minute ago that remembers the legalization of abortion in this country. Brian Bailey is speaking, right? And we will gather together. We will hold signs. We'll walk through downtown Bloomington. We'll proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ by our words, by our actions. We will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that there is a righteous king who will judge the living and the dead, but who will also freely forgive anyone for murdering their baby and will give them a life of freedom from their bondage to death and their bondage to fear, their bondage to lust. And many of you are absolutely ashamed to come. Why? Because you're afraid of being labeled as an extremist. You're afraid of being labeled as a fundamentalist, part of the, the fringe, lunatic, religious right. An intolerant, backwards Christian. The people that I work with, 
my students, my, my colleagues will see me. You know? What do you really have to fear? Do you believe the gospel or not? Do you? If you're if you're ashamed of the gospel, then how can it be that you believe it? The power of God, this gospel, will forgive our shame. And it will make us bold. Let's pray and ask God to make us 